Well, welcome to the Cup for Time podcast here at the Canton United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Clay. I'm joined by Eric Stearns, and uh, today we're digging into my message from Sunday, um, some version of it, because Sunday was a little bit of a crazy service between mm -hmm. uh, cradle rocking and graduating seniors and third grade Bibles and Mother's Day. Um, but we did talk on Sunday about voices. We talked about Jesus' voice and how we hear it and what that means for us as people of faith. So today we focused on just the ways that we hear Jesus' voice um, and just some of the details of the story from John's gospel. Let's get into it. Sounds good. I wanted to talk more about, at the start of the week, more about how we do faith at different stages of life. You know, there's a time for Chi Alpha, there's a time for not Chi Alpha, there's but yet there's still always a time for some kind of small group something. You know, there's still, there's still, there's always time for a Bible study. There's never a time where we shouldn't be engaged in a Bible study. There is a time for reading a devotion that just kind of spoon feeds us. And there's a time that, for reading a devotion that really just, you know, kicks us in the butt and asks us hard questions and makes us wrestle and think. There's a time for... You know, kind of what Paul says to the Corinthians, there's a time to be fed with milk, and then there's a time for steak. And I just couldn't, I, I, just, I, I just could not wrestle with that. I just could not wrap a homiletical track around that. So I punted to... I looked, it, the, the, actually this gospel text was the lectionary gospel text for the week. And so I started reading, I read some resources. It's just like, what does it mean? You know, Jesus talks a lot, you know, twice in the passage, he talks about his sheep knowing his voice. And so what are the voices we hear became kind of the guiding homiletical thought. Interesting. So how often does that happen for you? That drastically seldom 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 but like it was also just the week because i just kind of had the yips because of you know we had to rock eight babies and celebrate four seniors mm -hmm. and it's mother's day and we do third grade bibles we haven't done it yet a bible presentation will take a minute and a half you know and then it's just like okay how do i wedge the sermon in here somewhere mm -hmm. and so just all of those things led to a real just a real big shift this week. Interesting. So, so you open the sermon mm -hmm. with a story about your Brookings Church, a, me a member of, your, of the Brookings Church. Is there any more to that story? Yeah, so um, there, there is actually. So Pauline came, and she was in this place of just feeling really, really down and distraught because she did not know what not driving was going to mean for her when she equated so much of that with serving God. Mm -hmm. And so what was left for her to do? And like there does come a time in our lives of faith where it does become someone else's turn, but there's really no retirement policy in the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And so what Pauline and I talked about was, okay, if it can't be that, what can you still do? If, you're, if your kids aren't comfortable with you driving outside of Brookings, Brookings is still a pretty good-sized place. There's still a lot of options for you. You want to drive your friends to the clinic? Drive your friends to the clinic. It's mm -hmm. going to be okay. And then so what else, we, where the conversation veered into is what else can you do? She says, well, I like to write. 
I was like, do you like to write like cards or stories? Or what does that mean? You like to write? We dug into that a little bit further. And, you know, she likes to write letters and stuff. And I was like, do you know how many people in this church would be touched with a handwritten letter? Mm-hmm. And we talked about, you know, we, Brookings was a big enough church where it's not like here where we share our joys and concerns, but yet there was an apparatus in place where people could share with the church, you know, by, you know, you let the office know, we put it in the bulletin, we would announce it before we went into our prayer time, and she could write cards, write notes, write encouragements, and just, you know, pick people at random and write a note and just say, hey, thinking of you today, praying for you, you know. And that became a pretty big part of what she would do, was doing. It's cool. You know, it was, you know, it was part. It was kind of part of. We had a, a, a group through UMW called the Care Group. So she really came alongside of that ministry and really just kind of found her niche um, and found her place. Was, she was hearing a voice that was telling her that she was useless, and she still had so much left to do. Mm-hmm. I think that that's true of all of us. You know, like I t- talked about on Sunday, there are so many voices that just can bring us to a screeching halt. But yet Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. Mm -hmm. And Jesus always has something in store and something in mind for us to do. Sometimes it's hard to identify what that is. Mm -hmm. It sure can be. And that's why, you know, that, I mean, that's why there are people in our lives that that can, that can help us have that conversation, Mm -hmm. not just pastors, pastors, but not just pastors, you know, there are friends and spouses and, you know, people, you know, mentors in the faith that we look up to that we can just say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Can we talk about it? And more often than not, I'm just going to guess that people are going to say yes to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even identifying what our skills are. Yeah. That can apply well in this, you know, you know, in, in moving the faith forward. That can be hard or it can be hard to accept what you're being called to do. Sure. You know, it was hard for me to accept um, filling in and, mm. and delivering the message on Sunday. Yeah. Really glad I do it, yeah. but that's not a, it's not something that I expected I would enjoy or be good at or, sure. but I could tell that I was being called and I finally said yes and I'm glad, you know, I'm glad I said yes. Yes. But you know, stuff like that, that's, nev- it's never easy. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. To identify or say yes to those things, because it's because mm-hmm. life is about being outside your comfort zone, right? You know, you don't get anywhere without being outside your comfort zone. Yep. Should we go into? Um, should we go into the scripture a little bit? Do you want to talk about the Hanukkah? How that all kind of works into this? Sure. Yeah. Um, so John's Gospel highlights the fact that this happens during the festival of, de- of dedication. Uh, the story of Hanukkah that I thought the story of Hanukkah happens earlier in the Old Testament where um, Elisha is ministering. It's Elisha, not Elijah, but Elisha is ministering and there's enough oil in someone's lamp for eight days. I thought that was the story of Hanukkah. And then I took a world religions course and found out that that is not correct. Um, So the story of the Old Testament basically ends with... God promising not to give up on the Israelites. They are still in captivity. They are still in Babylon. But yet God has promised not to, you know, abandon them. The New Testament opens with Jesus 
the Jews are back in Jerusalem. They have set up this whole, you know, the, we talked about before, where they set up this whole series of laws so as to not break the actual law of God. There's a very organized um, hierarchy and structure that, that, that existed but didn't exist like this in mm-hmm. the Old Testament. Um, and so readers of Scripture maybe think, you know, what happened? Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of fuzzy in the middle of that. The Persian emperor Cyrus allows the people of God to move back to Israel. Um, that happens kind of, that's kind of foretold in the book of Isaiah. Um, but Cyrus comes into power, and he allows the people to go back and live in, in Israel, but still be under this captivity, be, still be under this rule. And so power has changed hands. The, 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 the Israelites are living in the Holy Land, and then Antiochus Epiphanes becomes kind of the region, um, regional uh, governor of the area. A family, the Maccabeans, revolt against him, and they are successful. They are successful in throwing off their captors for a while before the Romans come in. Um, and they are an independent nation for a while, which was their whole goal. It's their whole thing. That's why, Jew, that's why the Jews were looking for such a political messiah. Mm-hmm. Because this revolt was successful and they tasted independence for just a second again. And part of what they were doing in, in, with their independence was reestablishing the, the temple, reestablishing themselves as God's chosen people, as a royal priesthood, as a holy nation, all of these things that they were under King David. Um, and so the, the ritual to rededicate the temple was set to take eight days, but they only had oil enough for one day. But yet, miraculously, through the power of God and God's provision, the festival candles that they lit burned for eight days. That is why Hanukkah, the festival of lights, the festival of rededication, that is why there is an eight-night celebration in the Jewish world, um, because they are remembering the rededication of the temple and 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 the miracle of the provision of God in that moment. Um, and I think John mentions this to really just ground the narrative in a time frame that his, that his readers would have understood. Mm-hmm. So the Jewish leaders ask this robust question of, hey, who are you really? Like, if, you, if you're the Messiah, just tell us. Like, we'll, we'll deal. We'll deal with it if you just tell us. Why do you think, why do you think the Jews asked that? I think that the Jews asked Jesus that because... I mean, not just because of what I said on Sunday, but like the, the, the stars are kind of aligning for Jesus to be the Messiah. Like things are starting to maybe even click a mm-hmm. little bit in certain Jewish leaders' minds. And they may have just been so fascinated by him. And like, I think that they're smart people. We have the benefit of 2,000 years of, hind- of hindsight. I completely grant that. But I... I don't think you can be so misguided as to, as to completely miss Jesus. Mm-hmm. I, I think that there had to have been this little curious subset. In fact, we know there was this little curious subset because Nicodemus came to Jesus, um, and Nicodemus would have been one of the leaders. Um, and I think that there was this fascination with Jesus, in part, 
Um, you know, I think that they asked that question because they've been looking for the Messiah for so long. And if Jesus really is it, then they have to drop it. They have to stop doing what they're doing. That could be part of it. The other part really could be Jewish leadership was so threatened by Jesus that they could have been baiting him one more time into saying something blasphemous. Because if they ask, are you the Messiah? And Jesus says, duh, then they've got him. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got him. And so Jesus is very calculating in how he answers this question because he says, I have told you. You should have heard this by now. Mm-hmm. And I think two of the places where that's made the most plain is first with the woman at the well. Like, she is a Samaritan woman. She should not have been talking to Jesus. Jesus should not have been talking to her. Like, when the disciples come back and realize that Jesus has been talking to her, they are pissed at the entire situation. They're pissed at Jesus. They're pissed at the woman. You know, they're just, everyone's mad because that's how scandalous it was that Jesus was talking to her. And not only was Jesus talking to her, Jesus was debating theology with her. Mm Mm-hmm. Because there is a sect of Judaism that recognizes, you know, not the Temple Mount, but a different mountain where they worshiped and, and, and based their life off of. And they're debating theology. And Jesus is presenting to her a way of salvation. You know, and that would have spread because the woman goes from that encounter into her village and she says, look, y'all know that I'm not, you know, the one that God should be revealing himself to, but yet here I had this experience where Jesus could tell me everything about myself. Right. That word would have spread. That, that teaching would have spread. That fundamental truth that Jesus was speaking. He is the one that can give living water. I mean... No one else can make that claim. Mm-hmm. That would have spread. And then the other part, the other story in John's gospel where this really becomes plain is with a man born, born blind in John 9. You know, the disciples completely misunderstand the entire situation because, you know, the disciples. Um, and they say, who, was, who sinned so that this one was born blind? And Jesus says, this is so that God's glory can be on display. And he heals the man and he's like out and the man's like i don't know really who healed me i knew his name was jesus of nazareth um you know and over and over again he's questioned his parents are questioned he's questioned again and he's just like what do you want to follow this jesus too like what more do you want from me and so the word about jesus would have come to the religious leaders in such a way where they would have known that jesus has said these things Mm-hmm. But they couldn't listen. They couldn't get it. They couldn't quite grasp it. They weren't quite there. And then Jesus says that, you know, my deeds testify to me too. And so, and those are all over the Gospel of John. One of the things about the Gospel of John is that it is the Gospel of signs and miracles. You know, the very, one of the very first things that Jesus physically does in the Gospel of John is turn water into wine. Mm-hmm. And the second half of John 4 is a major healing. You know, the, the signs and the wonders of Jesus are all around him. He heals the man born blind. And in the next chapter of Scripture, we read from John 10 on Sunday, in John 11, Jesus raises Lazarus. And so, like, the signs that Jesus did testify to who he is in such a way that we can grasp 
but they couldn't quite grasp it. So what do you think? Do you think it was some of both? You know, the, how the question was based? You know, because mm-hmm. it would have been a group of people that came, yep. you know, that Jesus was talking to and asked yes. this question. Yep. It had to be some of, some of both camps. I would think Asking I would, the same question, looking for different answers, don't mm-hmm. you think? Yes. Yeah, the way that, you know, the way, the early, you know, the early church spread was among Jewish people. Mm-hmm. Like it was Jewish people that finally grasped, oh, hey, this really is the Messiah. This is mm-hmm. the one that we should be following. You know, and so I think that there were enough people curious that it could have been that, it, that they were just curious. Right. Like when... What I find interesting is that in the times when the Jewish leadership is trying to trap Jesus, the scriptures tell us they're trying to trap Jesus. Mm-hmm. And this does not have this. Sure. This does not have that distinction. This is simply they are feeling suspenseful about who Jesus is. And they say, quit holding us in suspense. And they ask the question. And Jesus takes the conversation in a different direction. They do not get the answer that they want. Mm-hmm. You know, tell us plainly, and Jesus absolutely does not. You know, I believe that this specific question comes from a place of, of genuine wonder. So there was a genuine wonder among the Jewish folks, um, and that wonder has not gone away. In fact, that wonder has grown, because eventually in the history of the church, the disciples start to feel called and led to share their faith openly among Gentile people, mm-hmm. which was not Jesus's real like mode of operation in his time because he was very Jewish. Um, and, you know, I think that he really sought to, to bring salvation, and Paul explores this in the book of Romans, really, expl- really bring salvation first to the people of God, and then we are grafted onto that. But I think that Jesus had us in mind when he was talking about being the good shepherd. So Jesus says in John chapter 10, verses 14 and then following, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as my father knows me and I know the father and, as I, and I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. I have sheep that do not belong to this fold but they hear my voice. Like this whole thing in, in, in the end of the, what, what comes next is about who hears Jesus' voice and who doesn't. Mm-hmm. The Jewish leaders do not, but yet these other sheep of this other flock, which, you know, the first time I read it, I was just like mind blown because I was just like, wait, this is, a, this is a reference to Gentile salvation. And then I went and looked, looked up resources. And yes, this is in fact kind of an allusion to Gentile salvation. Like we... We, us, you know, that are, that, are, that are here, like, we, this would not be possible. What we do would not be possible if we were not grafted into the faith in mm-hmm. the way that Jesus alludes to here in this passage. Like, we are this other flock, and yet we have still heard and still heed the voice of Jesus. I think that's really interesting. Okay, so so if he only kind of alludes to it here, uh huh. Where in where in the Bible does the Gentile um, salvation really come into play? Yeah, um, so it's in the Book of Acts. 
Uh, there are two things that happen. Uh, Philip, uh, he's going along the way, and he hears this Ethiopian eunuch, and if, if he's Ethiopian, he is obviously not Jewish. You know, mm-hmm. He's not from a Hebrew background. Um, he hears him, Philip hears this eunuch reading from the book of Isaiah. And Philip's like, do you like, do you, do you get what you're reading? And the, the Ethiopian's like, well, no, I don't, but it's interesting. I just wish I had someone that could, could explain it to me. And that's what Philip does. At the end of the story, the Ethiopian says, we're passing by a stream right now. Is there anything preventing me from being baptized? And Philip says, no. Like, and he baptizes him. And Peter has a vision where he is told by the voice of God to kill and eat of these animals that have fallen from heaven on a sheet, and they are all animals that are unclean. They are all things that, because of his Jewish faith, are forbidden of him to eat. And he says as much to the voice of God. He says, I can't because these are unclean. And the voice of God says to him back, nothing I have made is unclean. Nothing that I have made is unclean. Take and eat. Then Peter goes back to Cornelius' house and witnesses to his faith and baptizes Cornelius and his entire household. And he's like, whoa, (laughs) I am understanding that nothing that God made is unclean. And it's talking about the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. Those are the first two places where it's made definitively plain that Gentile salvation is not only possible, but actually the will of God. Interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. Something we don't usually talk about. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, how's this week coming? Good. Is it? Yeah, this week's the start of the Set Free series. Uh, we're going to be talking because we like to talk about what the cross and what the resurrection means for us in terms of our salvation, which is very, very important. Like, we are saved because of these two major events, and we are forever guided and changed by these two events when it comes to how we believe about, about the fancy church word is soteriology. But there's another sense where Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection accomplishes something so much more in that it's, it changes how we live. We are, Paul tells the church in Galatia, we are set free. And we don't need to submit to a yoke of slavery once again. That's what the Galatians were doing, and Paul was super pissed about it. Jesus set you free. Do not submit to a yoke of slavery once again. And yet we as people of faith can still look at our faith as a big list of do's and don'ts. And that's just not how it's supposed to be. We are set free by Jesus Christ. We are set free to live our lives in his name and in his ways, but yet still set free to live. God is not this big angry person with a, with a magnifying glass in his hand that's waiting to zap you the second that you screw up. That's not how this works. But yet so often we treat it like it is. Mm-hmm. And so what does it mean for us to be set free to live in the light of Jesus Christ, but set free to live freely in that freedom that we've been given? Well, I'm looking forward to that. This is going to be fantastic. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us on the Cup for Time podcast. Join us again next week for our for the brand new series that Clay is going to present or again uh, on the podcast next week. Thanks for listening to our Cut for Time conversation. 
Join us for worship in person or on Facebook Live Sundays at 10 o'clock Central Time. And now go in peace and serve the Lord.